I want us to pray as I start this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for getting to be together as a church family. And we thank you for each person that's here today. And Father, we would pray uh, that you would spur us on uh, to love and to good works as we uh, assemble ourselves together. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, light our hearts, the fire of our hearts today. And that, Father, we would uh, have a passion uh, to know you. And that, Father, we would have uh, the commitment uh, to invest our lives in our brothers and sisters in Christ and our church family. And so we pray as we open your word and as we talk this morning that, Father, you would truly teach us. And, Father, I would pray today as we come to the place where uh, we apply the truth to our own lives, that, Father, you'd give us courage uh, to live that out in the days to come and we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus name amen uh, when we look at the book of Acts at the early church the early church was simply about relationships the early church was simply about relationships Byron one of the scriptures that Byron read last Sunday and preached on is in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts 2 I just want to mention this and then we're going to move on to our Hebrews 10 passage when you read this classic summary of what was going on in the early church I am struck when I read that, that it's Acts 2, 42 through 47, that it was simply about relationships. That was all, the church was just people. There were no buildings. There were no budgets. Uh, there were no programs. It was simply, the relate. the church was just the relationships of those people. That's all the church was. And I know Byron read this, and I know you've seen it many times. But in Acts 2 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The early church was simply about relationships. It was just the people. No buildings, no programs, no budgets, 
It was just people. It was that simple. We are tempted in our day in the church world to depend upon what I could maybe call the flash and dash. The spectacular. The big thing. You know, we got to do this as a church to be successful. And it just occurred to me the week before last, when I think about all those things we have to do, the flash and the dash, all this, that I realized the early church didn't have any of that. And what we see is on the day of Pentecost, when the gospel was preached and they were together in one accord, there were three thousand people that were saved and baptized that day and there's just a couple chapters later it says and those who believe got up to five thousand people in the midst of days and they didn't have any buildings they didn't have any programs they didn't have a budget but what they did is they had a passionate relationship with god through jesus christ And they had connecting relationships with one another that was so passionate that it spilled over into the world and people were drawn into that group with no buildings, no budget, no programs. Because it was all about relationships. Uh, This fall, as we talk about connect and we try to answer the question how do we develop connecting relationships with God with one another and then the people outside these walls I want us to come back to that simple point that the church is simply the people and it's simply about relationships our relationship with God And then the second step we've taken is our relationship with one another. In fact, I could say you could evaluate our church, you could evaluate any church, not on its buildings, not on its programs, not on its budget, but this is how you ought to evaluate every church, that the condition of the church is determined simply by the quality of the relationships that its members have with first God and then with one another. That's it. And most of the time we kind of evaluate our church, we evaluate other churches based on other measurements. But when you go back to Acts 2, what you realize, no, It's all about relationships. So the condition of any church is determined simply by the quality of its members' relationships with God and the quality of its members' relationships with one another, which in turn spills over to the world. Did you notice in Acts chapter 2, it says, And the Lord added to their numbers daily 
those who were being saved. How do we know that the church is simply people? Because when God added to the church, what did he add? (laughs) He added people. It didn't say they started a building program, they increased the budget, they started this program on Tuesday night. No, it says, and the Lord added daily those who were being saved, added to the church. How do you add to the church? You only add people. Because what is the church, George? It's it's the people inside. It's not about the building, not the steeple, not the doors. It's about the people on the inside. We started with the truth this fall that it's all about people. For God, it's all about people. That's the only thing Jesus came to die for was people. People are the only thing in this world that are eternal. At the end of time, the only thing that will matter are people. For God, it's all about people. For us, it is to be all about people. It's about people being first related to God through Jesus Christ and faith in Him by grace. Are we saved? And then as we've said in these last several weeks, it's about developing, connecting relationships within the body of Christ. We've already talked about a couple practical things of how do we develop connecting relationships? What is required? We've talked about grace, that there has to be margin in our lives. Uh, If we become so judgmental, if we do not exhibit grace to one another, then what we do is we build walls. And it divides us. But we also talked about the second component is that truth. That there has to be a foundation, a common belief that draws us together, that we build upon as a, as a community. I, talk, I use that phrase from American history. We hold these truths. America was founded by some founding principles. Our church is based upon principles from God's Word uh, that unify us. If you do not have a foundation, when the storm comes, the house is destroyed. There has to be some foundation rock upon which you build. And so all of our relationships interconnected, yes, have to exhibit grace, but there also must be truth. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And so grace and truth are two of the keys to developing connecting relationships. I want to talk about this morning the commitment of time and energy. Yes, there's grace. And there is truth, but also for us to develop connecting relationships, there must be a commitment of time 
and energy. We must invest in our relationships. It doesn't just happen automatically. It takes effort. And my mind was drawn to Hebrews 10 that I read at the start of our service. And uh, let me read it again. And then I would like to make a few comments about those verses for maybe the next 30 minutes. Maybe not. In Hebrews 10, now it'll be on the screens, but if you turn in your Bible, you can see it. I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews in this inspired scripture is speaking to us about today. He says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. Obviously, the writer of Hebrews has spent nine and a half chapters before this talking about something that first word in verse 19 therefore connects what he's about to say with everything that has gone before and in fact what he does is he kind of gives a summary he brings us up he's been talking about this and that and it's kind of you know he's bringing it all together and he's about to make a point how should we live then if all these truths are right, then, then how do we live? And he uses that word, therefore. And then he begins, he quickly, in those next couple verses, he begins to summarize what went before. And we don't have time. You can go back this, this afternoon, instead of taking a nap this afternoon, you can go back and read the nine and a half chapters that led up to this. But he begins to summarize. And you see it, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. One of the things that the writer of Hebrews has talked about previously is how Jesus has made a, a, a better way into the presence of God, the only way. And they had, a, they had a way through their legalism, they thought, to get to God. But he's talked about how this is a, a better, a greater the only way to come into the presence of the Holy One. And so, and it's through the blood of Jesus. And he's talked about that. He says in verse 20, By a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. One of the amazing things is when God sent the solution for our sin, He Himself came in bodily form to live among us and to be tempted as us and to be persecuted and tried and ultimately to die a cruel death, a death of agony. And through his shedding of his blood and the giving of his life, he, he made atonement 
He made it possible for us to be made right with God. Just like the priest in the Old Testament had to make a sacrifice before he could go in. There had to be blood that was shed. And once for all, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus died to save us to the uttermost. Once for all, he came in the flesh. He came all the way. And he's talked about that. He says in verse 21, And having a high priest over the house of God. So this is another one of his points of summary from the first nine and a half chapters. That Jesus is not a high priest. He is the high priest. High priest is capitalized. Capital H, capital P. He is the high priest. He's talked about that. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus not only died for us when he was here in the flesh. He gave his life. He was buried on the third day. He was resurrected. He spent 40 days among the disciples. And after 40 days he ascended to the Father. And what the writer of Hebrews tells us is. What is he tells us what is Jesus doing now? He is at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? I'm, Hebrews 7.25 Always interceding for us. Right now, in the presence of Holy God, the Son who gave His life 2,000 years ago, sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding His blood for our sins so that we can be in a right relationship with God. Jesus didn't just do something in the past. He's doing something right now. He is always interceding for us in the presence of God. And you see, when I, when I hear all of that, what I, I realize that that is leading up to what the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about when he says there must be a commitment of time and energy. We must invest in others. We must have a network of strength and relationships within the body of Christ. All of that flows out of what God has done for us and is doing for us. Our first and primary relationship was with God the Father. And everything we learn about how we relate to each other and to the world, we learn from the Father. The Father is the one who committed His time and energy coming in the flesh and even today continues to intercede for us. He has made the commitment of time and energy to invest in our lives. And because He has done that and we are connected to Him... Then he says with one another, you do the same. I've committed my time and energy. Now you do the same within the body of Christ. First to me and then to one another. And so he is, the writer of Hebrews has made this transition with the word therefore and he has summarized all that has gone before and he's getting to his point of application and he, he has three phrases in those next three verses that start with let us let us let us notice with me verse 22 let us draw near verse 23 let us hold fast and then in verse 24 let us consider one another i'm going to come back to this truth but it is interesting for me to note that he puts this in the plural form, let us. He doesn't say, let you. He doesn't say, hey, you. He doesn't say simply a command to an individual, draw near, hold fast, 
consider one another. He says, no, let us. And so there's already in the mind of the writer of Hebrews this sense of community that it's not about me, it's about us. One of the deficiencies of American Christianity. (gasps) One of the things that our culture has skewed in our biblical understanding of what it means to be a Christian is this thing that was ingrained in us as Americans about individualism. It's all about me. It's a part of our history. It's a part of our culture. It's ingrained in our society. Individualism. Oh, we celebrate it as Americans. But biblically, it's not about me. It's about us. There is a sense of community that is biblical. I would say to you that one of the things that we must address and fight as biblical people who want to contend for a biblical kind of Christianity and the way that we relate to God is God always pictures a community. It's not just about, there's this little thing, uh, jam, Jesus and me. Yeah. I'm sorry if you're wearing that t-shirt today or you wore it yesterday and I saw you at the mall or something like that. I apologize. You know, it's like, jam, yeah, Jesus and me. And yeah, you ought to have a, a relationship with God individually, but you can't stop there. It's not about me, it's about us. There has to be a community and there must be a commitment on our part of time and energy to that community and those relationships because those relationships become a a source of spurring on love and good works that community that network becomes a safety net for us particularly in the time of need but it's interesting to me as we've talked that his first admonition is that we draw near and he means with God It's based on grace, what Jesus Christ has done. Yes, we must draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let all of us draw near to God. Yes, that is our first and foremost relationship. And then he says in verse 23, And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If verse 22 is about the grace in our relationship with God, then verse 23 is about truth and the foundation on which all of us must base our life, which is the truth of the Scripture. Let us hold fast to our confession. And so we've talked about grace, we've talked about truth. But then verse 24 really the reason I came to this scripture. The third let us. After after grace, after truth, he says, let us consider one another. He has moved from the theological part of his writing in the first nine and a half chapters to say, but when we get down to it, We have to consider one another. And he's going to talk about some things that are involved in that. Um, 
The word consider, hmm, in the original language is stronger than I think the English word consider is. Uh, Consider maybe means think about. Hmm. Oh, think about one another. But actually when I look at that, that word that is translated consider, it is the word for think, yes, for mind and think. But on the front end of that word, there is an intensive preposition that almost has the sense of think intensely about one another. It means to think deeply. Um, it, it actually literally means to think down, to establish this. Um, to focus on, to set your mind on, to think deeply on. I think it's the word to think intensely about one another. Part of the danger in the community is that we would not value the relationships within the body of Christ for whatever reason. We can consider so many other things and our mind can be thinking intensely about so many other things. The writer of Hebrews says you need to think intensely about one another and your relationship here. We can can be more consumed in our minds and our lives with our time and our energy with work. Sorry. Our hobbies... We can be consumed with all kinds of things. But you know, that's exactly the point. Life is not about things. It's all about people. And sometimes in the midst of our lives, we get distracted and we get to thinking about things and we're pursuing all these things. And it's not about things. It's about people. For God, it's all about people. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, God loved you this much and invested his life in you. Now I expect you to go... And invest your life in others. Your commitment of time and energy. Let us consider one another. That's what he's communicating there. It's interesting to me that the only time in, in uh, in Hebrews that it uses the phrase one another is right here in verse 24. Let us consider one another. In fact, my whole sermon series could just be based and i think i did this on a wednesday night one time on those admonitions throughout the scriptures where it says one another let us love one another yeah yeah yeah, there's like 15 16 of them and i can only remember one of them now let us consider one another i got two of them exhort one another and I don't know, there's a whole series of these one another's, but it is a, it is a pronoun that's used to speak of our reciprocal relationship, our, our mutual relationships with one another, how we are interconnected. So it's not surprising that he, when he comes to this point, he uses that, that pronoun, let us consider one another. Because it is about our mutual relationships. He makes this point and we must come to the point in our lives with our actions and our thoughts in all ways that we value relationships. 
If you hear nothing else today, that's it. We have to value relationships because that's all the church is. That's all that God cares about. And all the other things that we value in life someday will be gone. But every person in this room and every person we will ever know will spend eternity somewhere. But everything else you accumulate and work for and treasure in your life someday will be gone. This is a reality check. We must value one another. And specifically this morning, within the body of Christ. Think intently, deeply, intensely about your relationships within the body of Christ. And he's not even, he's not even talking outside these four walls. Now we're going to get there. You know when Jesus says, I think it's in John 13, when he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another? You go, well, how is that a new commandment? Because the one another. Love was not a new commandment. You are to love your neighbor. Jesus said, no, what I'm telling you, I've created you 12 into a community of faith, and I want to give you a new commandment that you love one another. There has to be love within the body of Christ. And then you know what he says later in John 13? You remember this? By this will all men know, those outside the walls, that you are my disciples. That you have love one for another. Hmm. One another is a powerful word in the New Testament. It speaks of the value that God places on community and our relationships together. In verse 24, he goes on and he said, Let us consider one another. And then he uses a phrase, to what end? What is the result of that? Or what is the purpose of that? In order to stir up love and good works. It's interesting that this word that is translated stir up is a negative word every other time it's ever used it is a negative word Um, we use it negatively stir up trouble Uh, sometimes this word I believe is translated provoke Try to use provoke in a positive sense, (laughs) in a sentence for me. (laughs) No, it just doesn't work. Uh, Incite, I like the word agitate. Try to use the word agitate in a positive sense. And you think, why does the writer of all the words he could use, (laughs) and agitate, provoke, stir up. And he says, love and good works. Agitate love and good works. I think he used a strong word because our tendency is to grow slack and settled and just let things go and take things for granted. And he says, no, you need to stir it up because what it tends to settle and grow cold, our hearts. 
The same is true in marriages and family and all other relationships. But he, he's talking about within the body of Christ. Stir up. Agitate. Provoke. Because we just get settled. This, this sermon is an agitation. My point is to agitate you today. To love and good works. And your relationships with one another. Because we just get settled. And we take it for granted. And we just coast. You see, I think it's a word that communicates that we are to be active, not passive. We are to be aggressive, not passive. We are to stir up love and good works among one another. And then he says in verse 25. So these are all, all these words pull out meaning of what is he communicating here? The word consider, the word stir up, the word one another. And then he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You know what amazes me? Is from Acts 2 and that classic scripture about all that the church was to later in the first century we get to Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, you just can't imagine the writer of Hebrews having to write this in those early days in the book of Acts. It's like, hey, now come on. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let's, let's stay together. Let's incite one another to love and good works. And come on, here we go. Because we've kind of grown stale. We've kind of coasted. You can't imagine that in Acts 2. But three or four decades later, no, the admonition is not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Some have grown slack. They're not investing their time and energy into the relationships with one another. You see, the, the obstacles that I've talked about in, pre, the, in previous sermons, the obstacle to grace is a judgmentalism and it builds walls. The obstacle to truth is relativism, which has no foundation. And when the storms come, if there is no foundation, the house will fall. If the third component of how we develop connecting relationships is a commitment of time and energy, the obstacle to that is isolation. I think it's part of the individualism and the busyness of the day in which we live that we isolate ourselves. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs in the mornings. And in Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18, 1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. If the positive admonition is that we are to commit our time and energy to one another, the obstacle to that is isolation that says, I just want to do my own thing and I, want to, I, I, don't, I don't want to be all out there. I don't want to be all up in everybody's business and all this connectedness. This is too much touching for me. And yeah, no, it's sitting too, no, you just need to, mm, I got my personal space here. There's a danger 
the book of Proverbs says, in isolating ourselves. Because we haven't made the commitment to time and energy to the relationships with one another. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And then he concludes, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exhorting one another. He's saying no. Use your words to exhort, to encourage one another. There ought to be an interconnectedness in our lives in which we are exhorting. We are investing our time and energy, but we are exhorting one another. When when I hear this in Hebrews 10.25, I think back to Hebrews 3.13 because the writer there says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word that strikes me in that, but exhort one another daily. One of the things you see in the early church is that day by day they were meeting and their lives were intertwined. It wasn't a once a week thing. It was a daily thing. And I think that's part of the component of what he's saying that we need to be involved in investing in one another's lives on a daily basis but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's all about people. And in order to develop connecting relationships, there must be a commitment of time and energy. It takes effort. But it is what God designed for us to be related on a daily basis with one another. I want you to evaluate your own life right now. What is your investment? Not financially, not to the programs, not to any other thing in the body of Christ. What is your investment, honestly, seriously, simply, into the relationships of the people that are part of your church family? And if if we don't seriously think about that today, then we've missed the point. We've just come, we've met, we've listened to a sermon, we took the offering and we walked out. The same people that came in as your pastor. I want you to know that the church is just about people and our interconnectedness. And we can evaluate our church by the simple statement that I made that the condition of any church is simply determined by the quality of the relationships that its members have first with God and then with one another. It's simply that. And if we have to go with bells and whistles 
and the flash and dash, then we are simply masking that there is a problem here. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can cover that up, but ultimately, no, that's all it comes down to is the relationship that we have with one another. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me today? And your pastor loves you. I love you. Let me pray. And then we'll have our time of commitment. Father, I pray that your spirit today would stir us, (laughs) agitate us to love and good works. And Father, I pray in these days as we value one another, that Father, we would make the commitment to invest our time and energy in our relationships here. And Father, I pray those relationships would flow out of our relationship with you. And Father, it would so fill us. And Father, it would spill off into our world. So we pray that you would do in these days what only you can do. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that makes this heart adore Hope of a life spent with to